and uh, you can just stay seated today. Normally I have you stand, but we'll let you stay seated. How's that? Well, did you stay dry coming in? Well, it's raining like crazy and then it stops. And it rains like crazy and then it stops. Then it rains like crazy, then it stops. And uh, then it rains like crazy and then it stops. And when I'm in the car, it's not raining. When I get out of the car, it rains like crazy. So you get three extra gold stars for coming today in the rain, huh? Let's go to in the Bible to First uh, John 3. And so many things we could talk about on Father's Day. But uh, we'll talk about the Heavenly Father today. He's, he's, uh, it's always good to talk about Him. You know, He loves His children. And in 1 John 3, verse 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father, that's talking about God, has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. You know, it's an honor to be called a child of God, isn't it? And, and that's uh, because of his great love. Behold what manner of love he's bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Now I always like to say at this point that, you know, not everybody is a child of God. Do you understand that? Have you ever heard somebody say, well, we're all children of God? But you know, you know that's not true. You know, the Bible says we're the children of God through what? Does anybody know through what? Faith. Through faith in who? Jesus. Jesus through faith in Christ Jesus. Remember when Jesus looked at the religious people of his day and he said, you are of your father, the devil. devil. Remember when, when uh, Adam and Eve, you see, they, were, they started out created by God and they were children of God, weren't they? But when they sinned, they, they disobeyed God and they got cut off from fellowship with God, didn't they? In their relationship with God, they became children of the, of the, of the devil, of Satan. Is that right? So how does somebody become a child of God? They become a child of God by faith in Jesus, okay? You need to realize God is everyone's creator, but he's not everyone's father, okay? You become a child of God when you repent of your sins, place your faith in Jesus. You need to realize something about uh, about God, how much he loves us, talking about his love, that he actually adopted us back from the devil, You understand that? If you look at Galatians 4, verse 4, Galatians 4, verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, you know, Virgin Mary, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the what? The the adoption as sons, sons and daughters, you know. That's really an awesome scripture when you really think about it, that, uh, that God loved us enough to adopt us. If you really, you really think about that. I mean, I know the adoption procedure that, that is in this nation, what I'm aware of, that's a pretty extensive deal and you have to go through a whole lot to, to adopt a child, you know. And, and you really have to love them to go through all of that. And it's interesting, you know, God had to go through a whole lot to adopt us. It was more than just some paperwork. Do you realize that? 
Look at Romans 5 verse 7 and we can, we can see what God had to go through to adopt us. Notice Romans 5 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own what? His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, somebody died for us. Who was that? Christ. And then if you look at Romans, you're right there in Romans 5. If you look at Romans 8.32 says that God did not spare his own son, that's Jesus, but delivered him up for us all. I mean, think about that. You know, the adoption process is pretty extensive, a lot of paperwork, a lot of things you have to go through, but God went through a lot more than paperwork, didn't he? He did not spare his own son. He sent Jesus to the cross even while we were still sinners, he sent Jesus to die for us. That's something, isn't it? I always think whenever I teach on this, I think about, you know, if, uh, you know, if there was just the most wonderful kid and just fantastic, you know, I don't know many people that would send their own son or daughter to die for that good kid across the street, the good kid. Much less sending your own son or daughter to die for Dennis the Menace. Huh? Or Charles Manson. It's probably closer than Dennis the Menace. I think of this little kid that used to, years ago, live down the street from me, and whenever we cars would drive out of the subdivision, he'd throw gravel at him. And just, this little kid was just a menace. And so, you know, would you send your own child to die for somebody like that? I don't know too many people that would send their child to die for a good kid, much less for a bad one. But that's what God did. God sent Jesus to die for a bunch of sinners. That would be you and me. Isn't that, isn't that, I mean, when you think about the love that God has for us, it's really pretty awesome, isn't it? It's pretty awesome. How many of you glad that he sent Jesus to die for you while you were still a rotten, no good sinner? Yeah, I'm glad. We should always be glad about that. Think about that every day. All right, so we know he loves us. And then we need to understand he gives good gifts to us. Look at, that's what a good father will do is give good gifts. Look at Matthew 7, 11. Matthew 7, 11. Have you got it yet? You need to be quick. Are you fast with your sword? The Bible's the sword of the Spirit, right? Matthew 7, what did I say? 11. Let's see. God gives good gifts to his children. If you then being evil, that just means being natural, natural people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Good things. Realize, say good things. Yeah, good things. How many of you know sickness and disease is not good? He doesn't put sickness and disease on on people, does he? He gives good things. He gives healing to people. He gives blessing to people. He's He's a good God. You know that more wrong things have been said about God, the Heavenly Father, than about anybody else? 
He gets accused of killing little babies. He gets accused of blowing people's roofs off their houses. Even the insurance companies call it what? Acts of God when a tornado comes through. And Well, he doesn't, God is not in the killing business. What did we say last week? Jesus, uh, the, the devil comes to what? Steal, kill, destroy. Jesus comes to give life and give it more abundantly. And Jesus is the best gift of all, isn't he? God gave his only son. That's a good thing. And so, so God gives good gifts, good things. Look at James 1.17. James 1.17. James 1.17 says this. Have, do you have it yet? Okay, some of you are really quick with that sword. James 1.17. Every, every what? Every, huh? Every good gift. That's what the New King James says. Does anybody have something different? Every good and perfect gift. Some translations will translate it a little differently. But it doesn't say every bad gift, does it? It says every good gift. Every perfect gift is from where? From above, comes down from the Father of lights. Actually, the Father of light, or some will argue the Father of spirits, God is a spirit, we're spirit beings. Some argue that that should be translated the father of light. How many of you know God is light? And in him is no darkness at all. But notice this, with whom, so, so every good gift comes from him. And then something else that I really like about, about God, with whom there is no variation or what? Shadow of turn. He's consistent, isn't he? He's consistent. He's steady and consistent. If there's one person you can always count on, it's God. You can always count on him all the time because he's consistent. He never changes. So he gives good gifts and then he also provides for his children's needs. That's one of the greatest things that a father can do is provide for their children's needs. Notice Matthew 6 and 8. Matthew 6 and 8. Do you have it yet? (laughs) (laughs) see you need to get so fast that you're there before I even call it out well you'd really be in the spirit then wouldn't you Matthew 6 and 8 Jesus says do not be like them talking about you know probably talking about religious people or you know people that aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing all the Gentiles, the people, worldly people. Do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of when? Before you ask Him. So does God know what you need before you even ask? Yeah, He knows. He also tells us to ask, though, you know, there's other scripture that says ask. You have not cause you... Ask not. So you have to ask. And then uh, the Bible goes on to say in another place that you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you might heap it on your own desires. How many of you know when you ask the Lord for something, you need to ask in line with his word, don't you? With a good and a right heart, the right motive. But the point here is, is God knows the things you have need of. Is it after you ask him or before you ask him? Before. But we still need to ask, don't we? And then in, in, that was Matthew 6, 8. Go to Matthew 6, 25 here. 
Jesus says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you'll eat or what you'll drink. Nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He takes care of the birds, doesn't he? The animals. Are you not of more value than they? Well, are you or aren't you? So if he'll take care of them, won't he take care of you? Yeah. So we shouldn't be worried about the necessities of life. We should should know that God... Uh, He knows what we need. We ask him, believe we receive, he'll provide. Do we still have to work? And the Bible says if you don't what? Work, you don't. See, you have to balance the scripture out. See, if you just read this, it looks like you could just sit back and do nothing and God will take care of you. But then there's also other scripture that says you have to put your hand to the plow and go to work. Is that right? So if you put put them both together, you know, you do your part and then God does his part. Is that right? But he is a uh, good heavenly father and he provides for his children's needs. Now here's something else I really like about God is, uh, well, well let's, let's do this one first. I like both of these, but real loud say God is faithful. God. One more time, God is faithful. God. He's faithful. Notice 1 Corinthians 1, 9. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. We kind of already said this, but give you another scripture on it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 9 says, those, just those first three words there says what? God is faithful. I tell you what, I, I'm just so thankful that he is faithful, that he's faithful. You know what the, my definition of faithful is? Always, let's see if you remember, always doing what you're supposed to be doing when you're supposed to be doing it with a good and a right attitude. Is that right? Faithfulness, let's say it again, always doing what you're supposed to be doing when you're supposed to be doing it with a good and a right attitude. That's faithfulness. And God is faithful. There's another scripture that says we ought to imitate him. Is that right? And then there's another scripture that says God looks for faithful people and a faithful person is hard to find. Do you know faithful people are hard to find? They really, really are. They really, really are. Um, Sometimes you got people with good hearts, but they're never doing what they're supposed to be doing when they're supposed to be doing it. So are they faithful? Yeah, but wait, they're always doing what they're supposed to be doing when they're supposed to be doing it. Wait a minute, I got confused. Let's start over. What is faithfulness? Always doing what you're supposed to be doing, when you're supposed to be doing it with a good and right attitude. Okay, so I've seen people with good hearts. You know what I mean, good hearts? Good attitude, always happy, always smiling, always happy. But they're never doing what they're supposed to be doing. But they're, help me, somebody, pray for me. So they got a good attitude, but they're, they don't show up. Are they faithful? Now let's get this. Now they got a good heart. They got a good heart. Happy people. But they're never doing what they're supposed to be doing. So are they faithful? You're doing great. So now who's messed up? Is it me or you? Now let's get this. Now you girls, are you how y'all doing? I'm not putting you to sleep, am I? 
Okay. Now let's get this. You got, now let's go over it again. Faithfulness is, see you got a waterlogged brain now. Water coming in. Always doing what you're supposed to be doing, when you're supposed to be doing it with a good right. So you got to have all that going on to be what? Okay, now what if you got somebody that's got a good and a right attitude, but they're, good and right attitude, but they're never doing what they're supposed to be doing when they're supposed to be doing it. Are they faithful? No. No. All right, we got, we're we're good. Okay. Now, the one down, one to go. Now you got somebody that's, that's always doing what they're supposed to be doing it when they're supposed to be doing it, but they don't have a good attitude. Are they faithful? No. no. Do you get the point? You got to have it all going, right? Yes. Is that right? So you got to be doing what you're supposed to be doing when you're supposed to be doing it with a... And that's when you are considered faithful. Is God faithful? You know, there's another scripture that says the faithful person will abound with... Blessing. Well, I tell you, you can get enough out of that right there to really go somewhere in the, in the kingdom of God. Did you know not only will that promote you in the kingdom of God, but that will promote you for the most part on your job because bosses mostly are looking for people who are faithful. Now, if I had to choose between the two, always doing what you're supposed to be doing or having a good and a right heart, guess which one I'd choose? I'd choose a good and a right heart unless you were flying my jet airplane, which well, I don't have a jet airplane, but you know what on the, the, you know, if I'm going somewhere, you know? Now, really, I'd rather have you be doing what you're supposed to be doing in when you're, when you're supposed to be doing it, maybe your heart's not all that good, but I want you to be competent. You okay? But as it pertains to things that I've dealt with in the church and ministry, I had a, a young fellow one time that, that, that he had, boy, he had the best attitude, just really, really a fine young fellow, uh, was Ryan Hannawinkle, just one of the finest young people that you'll ever meet. And he was out there one day and he was... Pastor Diane had him pulling the pulling the weeds out there, you know, on the grounds. And so we walked up and one day I noticed he I haven't noticed because I'm not that good with, with plants and things, but he's pulling flowers up. I said, What are you doing? And well, he didn't know the difference. But you know what? At least he was doing it with a good and a right attitude. <laughs> and I commended him because I'd rather have somebody pulling flowers, she probably wouldn't say this, but I would, with a good and a right attitude. Then somebody out there pulling the weeds and they're grumbling and complaining and talking bad about me. Wouldn't you rather have that? Wouldn't you rather have somebody pull a few flowers? And he said, Pastor, I'm so sorry. And I said, well, at least you're pulling the flowers with a good and right attitude. I'd rather have somebody pull flowers with a good and a right attitude than somebody pull the weeds with a stinking attitude. Is that right? Unless you're flying my, my airplane, you know, 
Now, somebody's going to think I have a jet airplane. I don't have, you know, don't give me a jet airplane because I don't care to fly because I like to be down here on the ground where it's safe. Where it's safe. <laughs> if you were here last week, you'd know that, that. If you'd have been here last week, you'd have been laughing funny at that. <laughs> laughing funny. You'd have been laughing a lot. Well, I said one time, I don't like to fly, I like it to be down here on the ground where it's safe. But you know, if you think about being in them jets, it's pretty safe up there in them jets. Amen? Talking about the big jets. Amen, we need to keep uh, Judy, Judy's, yeah, in prayer. How are they doing? They were, they were in a smaller plane and they had an airplane accident earlier. How are they doing? They got them stable. Amen. Well, keep them in your prayers. It was, who was it? Your brother-in-law? All right, they were in a smaller jet, right? Amen. Well, but uh, nonetheless, things happen. But you know what? I believe they're going to be okay. How about you? Keep them in your prayers. So anyway, if you're going to be working in our gardens out there, be sure you know the difference between flowers and weeds. And no matter what you do, if you're going to be working out there, what do we want? We want you to be... We're getting right at it. We want you to be what? Faithful. So that means you're pulling the weeds with a good and a right. Okay. You okay? Well, I didn't know I was going to get into all of that, but uh, real loud say, God is faithful. Yeah, he's faithful. He's faithful. So, um, but wouldn't it be nice to have an airline pilot that was a, was, was, had a good and right attitude as well? Wouldn't that be wonderful? See, whenever I fly always because the pilots usually come off the airplanes you know and they go get coffee or whatever and so I keep an eye on the door and I always watch them and when they come off the airplane I want to see who's flying my plane and I went over to the one one day and I started I tried to do this all the time and (laughs) we we were coming back from somewhere or another and and I had looked at the radar that morning on the television before we came to the airport and I saw there was going to be some rough weather, you know, flying from where we were coming back to St. Louis and I saw the pilot come off the plane and I said, sir, how are you? Fine, fine, I'm pastor from Fenton. And I said, do you realize there's some rough weather up over such and such, you know? He didn't embarrass me. He said, son, I, he was older than, he said, son, I know that. And I said, I'm so glad. Can you imagine? I'm probably the only person that does this. They give me extra screening, you know, because they think I'm crazy. But get to the airline pilot and say, do you realize there's some rough weather up over, you know? He said, son, I know that. I said, what are you going to do about it? He said, we're going to go around it. And I said, I'm glad. He said, now it might take 15 minutes longer. Is that okay with you? I said, that, that will be just fine. <laughs> and then I asked another one one day. I said, you fly in my plane? He said, yeah. I said, you going to St. Louis? Yeah. And I said, it is safe flying, isn't it? He pulled me aside. He said, son. <laughs> He's older than me too. <laughs> so remember where I was. Somebody gave us a trip to Hawaii one time. I've gotten better. They gave us a trip to Hawaii and we're sitting at Lambert Field. 
getting ready to get on a jet. <laughs> I just hated flying. I told Diane, I said, let's don't go. <laughs> she, said, she said, well, I'll go by myself. You can stay here. <laughs> <laughs> he pulls me aside. <laughs> I said, it is safe up there. He said, son, <laughs> he said, you know what the most dangerous thing is about my job? I said, what? He said, driving to the airport in the morning. <laughs> All right, well, isn't Jesus wonderful? Yeah, he is. All right. Now, you know what else we got here? We got the heavenly father. You know, there's something else now. This is what I really like about him. He tells the truth. <laughs> he does. Look at, look at Titus 1, 2. Look at Titus 1, 2. I'm going to read this in the NIV. NIV, it'll be on the... I did go. I did go to Hawaii. By the way, we did go. I could tell you some stories about that too. I remember coming back from Hawaii. Somebody gave us a trip, or we would never went. Coming back, we get up. We leave Hawaii, and we're up. We get up at cruising altitude. It's nighttime. We're coming back, and a captain comes on. <laughs> and those people are used to a lot of shaking, you know, turbulence. He says. He says, it's going to be a rough one. A lot of turbulence at all altitudes. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and I shook on that plane, didn't I not, from Honolulu, Hawaii, to the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> I mean, just shimmying and shaking. We got to the Rocky Mountains. We hit a, we hit a, a calm patch of air. You know how long it lasted? Two minutes. <laughs> and I shook from the Rocky Mountains to St. Louis. And when we got off the plane, I told Diane, I said, the picture you have just seen is the last appearance of me on a jet, man, I tell you. But I have gotten on since then. Anyway, real loud say, God tells the truth. Notice this here, Titus 1, 2, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not what? God does not what? You know, I'm so glad we have a heavenly father that doesn't lie. Do you know God just, if there's a scripture that says he hates a lying tongue. God does not like any dishonesty. He doesn't like any dishonesty. He wants everything to be on the up and up and honest. There's an old saying that goes, honesty is the best policy, isn't it? Isn't that one of the top, the big 10, isn't it? Ten Commandments, not bearing false witness. Is that right? So God is a father. He doesn't lie. You know, I was thinking about the first president of the United States. Anybody know who that would be? He's kind of, he figured, he's kind of looked at as the father of our country, isn't he? Isn't he? He is, isn't he? Talking today's Father's Day. So we can talk about George Washington you know, there's a story, Now I don't know if it's true, but some say that it is, it probably is, that he, somebody gave him a hatchet and he went out in the back and he started chopping things. 
and there was a certain tree out there that supposedly he either chopped on or chopped down. Does anybody know what kind of tree that was? Cherry tree. And his father, when he recognized it, he was upset and angry. And he questioned George, young George, about it. This is when George was young, probably six, eight, ten years old, somewhere in there. And he said something that qualified him to be a great president. And what did he say? I, I cannot what? I cannot what? I cannot what? I cannot tell a lie. That's a good quality in a president, isn't it? I cannot tell a lie. Isn't that a good quality in a president? How many, isn't that a good quality in a presidential administration? Is that a wonderful quality? I cannot what? Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that be wonderful if we would always have that in a presidential administration? Well, that's all I'll say about that. How, you don't want to get me going, so let's just... Uh, so God does not lie. Is that good? Okay, now a couple other things and we'll stop. Go to Hebrews 12. Two more things and then we'll, we'll be done. The heavenly father, now this one, a lot of people won't like this one, but you should like it if you really understand it. Hebrews 12, the heavenly father corrects his children. Now look at this, Hebrews 12, 5. This is New King James Version. And you you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons, sons or daughters, my son or my daughter, you know, do not despise the what? Chastening of the Lord. That word chastening just means correcting when he corrects us. Nor be discouraged when you are what? When you're what? Rebuked by him. For whom the Lord... Now, now here's why you shouldn't despise the correction of the Lord because of verse six. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are what? Illegitimate and not sons. Did you, did you, did you hear that right there? Did you, did you hear that? See, God corrects and rebukes and scourges. Now, as you study into it, I'm not gonna get into all the details. It does not mean that he beats you up physically. It does not mean that he puts sickness and disease on you. It does not mean that he puts turmoil on you. Can you say amen? Amen. It means that he'll correct you and rebuke you. Do you know, and, and 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 if this is never going on in your life, then the Bible says you're illegitimate and not really a child of God. Every child of God is gonna get rebuked by God from time to time. And if you never get it, then it means you're really not a child of God. Did, did you, you understand that? They say, well, how does God do it? How does he rebuke us? How does he do it? Well, the first way he does it is through his 
written word. Have you ever been reading along in the word of God and, and there was something that you were doing that was out of line with the word and it just hit you right in the gut like, oh my goodness, huh? I know there's been times where I've told the Lord, I, I, I love you, Lord. And you know what, what scripture hits me a lot of times? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And there was something I was doing I shouldn't have been doing. If you, I love you, Lord. If you love me, you'll keep. See, when that scripture hits you, you know what I mean? Ugh. That's him what? Chastening, correcting. Huh? And really, we ought to be glad that's going on because if that's not going on, that, doesn't, that, that means you're really not a child of God. Right? Now, he'll correct us through his word and the next way is by his spirit who's on the inside of the Christian. You understand that. And they off work, they'll always work hand in glove. You know what I mean by that. But then here's, now, now everybody can go along pretty well with that, but you children, you young kids, you know one way that God will correct you is through your mommy and daddy. Did you hear me? Well, I just don't know why my mom makes me do this. I don't know why my dad makes me do this. I tell you, you ought to get down on your hands and knees and thank God that you've got a mom and a dad that loves you enough to correct you. You know how many children in this world, there's nobody gives a flip about them? Huh? You know what I mean? I'm talking about they don't have any parents, they don't have any aunts, uncles, nobody that they live or die, what's the big deal? Huh? So if, if you're being corrected by your parents, you ought to get down on your hands and knees and just thank God that you got somebody who loves you enough. Huh? Rather than, I don't know why they're making me do this. Well, we know for sure you're not faithful, right? <laughs> You'll have a good attitude, right? But be glad when you're corrected. Now, there's nobody that I've met yet likes to be corrected. But you can get, uh, originally, but you can get yourself to a point where you enjoy being corrected, especially when God's in it. Are you okay? You all right? Because when he's chastening, chastening us, it means that he loves us. He cares about us. Now, here's another way that God will correct us. Through the P-A-S-T-O-R. What does that spell? through the pastor. And, uh, you know, uh, I always try to be very discreet and never direct anything at anyone. I learned a long time ago never to target people in sermons. You know what I mean by that, target? When I was younger, I, I did that. I'd target. Somebody's doing something I didn't like, I'd target. I wouldn't call their name, but <laughs> usually what always would happen is whenever I was gonna target them, they wouldn't be there that day. <laughs> or if I did target them, they'd always come up after the service and they'd say, good message, pastor, so-and-so really needed to hear that. <laughs> so I learned a long time ago, I just preach what the Spirit of God gives me to preach. Sometimes I have to preach and teach some things that'll step on your toes. But here again, you don't want a pastor that never takes the word of God. Notice I said takes the word of God. You don't ever want a pastor that, takes, that, that he never takes the word of God. You don't want a pastor who never takes the word of God and steps on your toes. 
Now, I'm not saying we ought to, because this is the sword of the Spirit, right? Is this the sword of the Spirit? Now, I shouldn't take the sword and just, just cut you to pieces. Is that right? But what I ought to do as a skilled surgeon, would you rather have a samurai warrior do an operation on you or a skilled surgeon? How many votes for the samurai warrior? How many votes for the skilled surgeon? See, I ought to be a skilled surgeon, not a samurai warrior. I learned a long time ago when I was a kid, uh, a kid younger, you know, I'd come out with the sword like a samurai warrior and I just cut people up. You know, people leave the service, say, boy, he really cut me up today. And I did, man, you know. But the Lord has had to teach me that when you have to bring a message of correction, you do it as a skilled surgeon. You hear me? And if you really do a message of correction right, you'll take the word of God, you'll cut out of people what needs to be cut out like a skilled surgeon. You might step on their toes once in a while, do a little toe surgery, you know. But in the end, if it's done right, the person should, the, the, the people sitting out listening to me should say, oh, well, yeah, he cut some stuff out of me today and that was a little tough, but he, but he, but he did it right. He cut, he cut it out. And, and, and you know what? I feel, I feel better about things. That's how it should be done. That's how we try to do it. Let me ask you a question. Does the Bible say we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ? Yeah, and, and the fire of God's going to try every believer for their works. Is that right? Would you rather have God through the pastor work on you down here and get things straightened up down here or would you rather wait until you're facing the fire of God? I'd rather have this pastor step on my toes down here. I remember Brother Hagin, sometimes he'd come out and he'd always very, very, very discreet, very good the way he did things. But boy, sometimes, you know, I'd leave just, wow, he'd cut stuff out of me that needed to be cut out. And I'm glad he did. Because when God is correcting us, sometimes he'll correct us through the pastor. What is he showing us? That he what? That he loves us. When he corrects you through your mom and dad, he loves you. Amen? Let's close in Luke 15. Did you get anything out of this today? You getting anything out of it? All right. One, two people. All right. Praise God. I trust the rest of you. You're just listening, aren't you? Okay. You're doing good. Doing good. All right. Last one. The heavenly father is a forgiver. You glad he's a forgiver? Boy, I'm glad he's a forgiver. Remember Luke 15, 11. Real quick. Let's get this. A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to, to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them to, to them his livelihood, okay? And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and wasted his possessions with prodigal living. You know what prodigal living means? It's just he got living, doing bad stuff. Doing bad stuff. Sexual sin, all kinds of stuff. But when he had spent all... There arose a severe famine in that land. He began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Now think about that. When he was with his dad, he was, he was a son of his father. Now he's feeding swine. He's feeding pigs. See, if you disobey God, you're gonna wind up in the pig pen eventually. Did you hear what I just said? I mean, and this kid didn't just miss it. He made a conscious decision to walk away from his father, didn't he? I mean, he didn't just miss it. I mean, he, did he make a conscious decision? It wasn't just an accidental blunder. He made a decision to walk away from his father. Is that right? So when you do that, you're going to wind up in the pig pen eventually. Is that right? 
So let me correct myself. If you just miss it here, miss it there, I mean, it, it, you know, you need to get things right and all that, but you know, you miss it here, miss it there. You may not wind up in a pig pen, but the wages of sin is death. But if you walk away from the, from the Lord and just, you know, I don't want to serve God anymore. I'm tired of this. Just, I'm going to go out and do my own thing. Eventually you're going to wind up where? Where are you going to wind up? In a pig pen. Okay. Verse 16, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. It's a bad place to be. When he came now, but here's some good news. When he came to himself, he came to his senses. Isn't it good to know we can come to our senses when we've missed it? He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to eat and spare and I perish with hunger? I'll arise and go to my father. Now watch this. This is a sign of repentance here. He comes to his senses. He gets up, goes to his father and says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Did he blame his sin on somebody else? Did he say it's so-and-so's fault? No, he said, I missed it. Is that right? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, if you're a note taker, if you're a Bible underliner, underline that, when he was still a great way off, when he was still a great way off, somebody was looking for him. Who was looking for him? His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Isn't that wonderful? And the son said to him, and the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Notice what the father did. He said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. Isn't that wonderful? That's a, that's, 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 that shows us how the heavenly father looks at us. When we miss it, when we just gonna go do our own thing, we miss it, we wind up in a bad spot, we repent and come back to him. He's not gonna kick you, he's not gonna deny you, he's gonna receive you. Isn't that wonderful? And he received this young man back. He received his son back. Son just said, make me a servant. He said, no, you're my son. And he killed the fatted calf, put the ring on his finger, robe on his back. They had a party. And he said, verse 23, he said, let us eat and be merry. Isn't that wonderful? And then in verse 24, it says, for, for this my son, now, now for years, and I know you can't base doctrine on a, on a parable, and this is a parable, but, but, you know, when, when somebody, see this, this guy didn't stay in the father's house, did he? Did he? Did he? No. He didn't just blunder or mess up a little bit, did he? Did he walk away from his father? Yeah. He walked away from his father. He's out in the world. Because people have asked me, Pastor, what happens if so-and-so, they used to come to church all the time. They used to be, they used to be, they used to be. And, and now they've just, they've just, you know, it's one thing to, to maybe stop attending church, but they say they've stopped attending church and they're just back in the world living like, living, living like they used to, just horrible. What happens to them if they die? Well, without getting into a long theological discourse, which I could, if we had hours to do, I could. But this verse 24 says a lot to me, even though we can't base doctrine on a parable. For this my son was what? Was dead and is alive again. He was what? He was what? Lost and is found. And they began to make merry. 
So if nothing else, when this young man was away from his father's house out in the pig pen, he was on dangerous ground, wasn't he? But isn't it good that when you're away and on dangerous ground, you can repent and come back and the father will receive you and restore you. Isn't that wonderful? You know what? We ought to be imitators of the heavenly father. And when we see brothers and sisters miss it and they want to get back right with in the things of God, we shouldn't kick them, should we? We ought to love them. And ye which are spiritual, spiritually mature, restore such one. Is that right? How many of you glad that God's a restorer? I'm just so, all right, stand with me if you would. Praise God. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. And on this Father's Day, we, we honor you every day, sir. But today we say happy Father's Day. And we just honor you and bless you and praise you. In Jesus' name. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus, you've never repented of your sins and asked him to come into your heart, do that before you leave today. There'll be some men and women standing up here. You can come up and afterwards and pray with them. They'll be glad to pray with you. Maybe you're here today and maybe in some area of your life, you've, you've let sin get in. You begin to miss it or you're missing it.